Live. Uh, I'm here with my guest, Ryan Tenofseed. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm happy to have you. Happy to have you. Um, before, we get, before we get into it, go and tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? That kind of stuff. Um, let me see. I'm a 19-year-old college student from Oklahoma. Very non-assuming. Um, I, I read a bunch of books. I play music. Uh, I listen to people. So um, apparently that means I know things uh, a little bit more. <laughs> A little bit more serious. Um, I was very interested in things like historical theories and economic theories uh, when I was a freshman in high school. Um, from there, I started reading um, at first the Chicago School, and I had that side by side with Oswald Spengler. So it was a very interesting, uh, a very interesting duo. Um, and then I moved on to the Austrian School when I finally learned about them. Um, started reading things like Human Action and Man, Economy, and State. Um, and then alongside, I was also still reading Spengler at that time, if I remember correctly, just because Decline of the West is such a monumental book. <laughs> um, got into a uh, bunch of more sort of reactionary thinkers. Uh, Carlyle comes to mind, Thomas Carlyle. Mm. Um, Kierkegaard, great. in some sense, can go that way as well if you read him in a certain lens, which I did. Um, and I've just kind of gone from there. Uh, so... I don't know if that uh, explains very much. <laughs> that, is, that is great. That is great. So this episode, I've been made to know, episode is called uh, Explaining My Like I'm Five, The Overpopulation Myths. Because I, so I don't know anything about this. I know a few economic stuff about it a little bit. I know who my, my the Masusian trap, whatever it's called, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it only came up because I was, I was arguing with a friend of mine about um, Catholic natural, uh, natural family planning and contraceptions. Mm-hmm. And his entire, uh, when you say, well, you have to have contraceptions and your family planning is wrong because of overpopulation. Right. So I, I just said overpopulation is a myth. Not even knowing anything about it. And he literally stormed off. Like he didn't talk most of the day. It was that crucial. Right. His argument was overpopulation. I'm like, okay, this is apparently more involved for some people than I thought it was. It merits an episode. And so mm-hmm. uh, I was introduced to you a show on it, episode on it. I'm like, this is a guy I talked to. Let's do it. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely in the uh, sort of popular consciousness. Uh, overpopulation is something that everyone talks about. Um, not to be too blunt, but you usually hear it from more well-off types trying to justify why they won't go the traditional family style if you're in a more rural state, um, because you still have to justify those things here. Um, and then sort of in the cities, uh, in the more coastal elite areas, um, you'll see them sort of uh, chatting about it you know, like aristocrats would chat about the plight of the poor in ages past or something like that, where I'm sure they definitely care about that and aren't just using it for uh, more personal means. Um, yes, and it's, I'm very glad that this is how you came into contact with it, because there is a very large religious element and almost a subversive element that doesn't get talked about, because we can talk about the economics a lot, we can talk about mathematics and history, um, but there is a surprising, surprisingly large topic to do with churches and doctrine that just gets overlooked because it's one of the more radical policy changes from the last hundred years um so we can start there if you want to um, let's, let's go right ahead lead, lead, right. lead the way i have a few questions to ask along the way but let's, you lead the way <laughs> so um 
for the majority of Christian history, regardless of the denomination, um, you saw a very stark condemnation of contraceptive use. Um, it was understood by just about every single Christian, uh, Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, um, that having a family was a good thing, bearing children was a good thing, raising them was a good thing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So obviously, contraception has to be evil. Um, regardless of just specific condemnations of contraception from church fathers, um, from doctrines that were still up at that point, and from various passages of scripture. Um, in the 1930s, however, the Anglican Communion uh, made it licit. They legalized it, essentially. Um, and this marks a turn for most Protestant denominations, starting with the Anglicans in the 30s, uh, where contraception starts getting much less of condemnation, and it becomes a gray area for quite a while. And then now in the modern day, it's almost universally accepted to be just a good thing that can be abused. Um, a very, very sharp turnaround from the thousands of years of Christian doctrine preceding it. So um, <laughs> you can speculate why this might have been changed. Um, certainly you can look at more progressive uh, influences in the Anglican Communion, uh, the Episcopalians, the Church of England, and everything in the colonies. Um, definitely the breeding ground for progressivism at that point in time in history, and had definitely felt the brunt of it. Um, so that can influence it, and we'll get into why that is important later. Um, you can say that there were other spicier, subversive elements that I don't find as convincing, but you'll usually hear people talking about it in sort of darker corners of the world. Um, and then you've also just got the advent of theological liberalism for the first time actually getting a foothold in a major denomination, um, because you had universalists and you had very radical theological liberals before this, but they hadn't necessarily managed to uh, get, a, an, get an explicit foothold in a denomination like the Church of England. Um, so it's important in this regard because it completely rocked the Protestant world at least, and I think that most other denominations are now starting to feel that um, because, you know, it's not just an isolated event where something happened in one denomination and it's just ignored by all the others. Usually it bleeds into the rest of them for good or ill. Um, I know that um, if you compared the average Roman Catholic today uh, to a Roman Catholic from 200 years ago, it would be very, very terrifying, the difference. Yeah. So, um, we have that materially. Um, so contraception, that all comes into play for overpopulation um, through very obvious means that most people can directly connect the logic points to. But just so that we have that foundation, um, the idea is um, population will grow geometrically. That is, a, uh, an example would be starts at 2, goes to 4, goes to 8, 16, and it just keeps doubling like that if you put that on a graph. Um, you get basically a curved line that just goes up and towards infinity at a very quick rate. Um, meanwhile, the material that we can get from the Earth, uh, usually in the Malthusian equation, it's food, but it doesn't just have to be that, as we'll talk about soon. Um, materials from the Earth, we can only extract at an arithmetic rate. That is, it will go 2, 4, 6, 8 on a straight line. So one of those is going to get a lot larger than the other one very quickly, the, the one that's constantly doubling instead of just having two added to it or something similar. Um, you can put those two lines on a graph, and the point at which they intersect 
is uh, sort of like the Malthusian equilibrium, where that is where the population perfectly matches the resources available. And at any point past that, you get a Malthusian collapse, where the lack of resources available to the population necessarily must mean that the population has to collapse or die prematurely down to that sort of equilibrium point. So contraception, as we just talked about, uh, comes into play because it is a natural limiter of population without bringing about premature death. If you take a very uh, a very modern view of life and you know, uh, population, so you have that to consider. Um, you have the historical view to consider. Um, Malthus was writing all of these. It was writing this, and I believe 1798. Um, so this was right at the tail end of the uh, of sort of the French colonial period, um, going right into the uh, into the revolution. They had multiple empires, but this is where they uh, completely lost uh, most of their rich colonies. They lost uh, previously colonies in India, colonies uh, across the world in the Indies, not to be confused with India, um, and they were about to lose Louisiana and eventually Haiti. Um, France was in turmoil. Um, their food production was suffering. They had a uh, they had a very terrible harvest that year, if I remember correctly, which you might read about learning about the French Revolution, uh, bad harvests, uh, food prices increasing, and then a uh, almost simulated famine leading to discontent, usually often cited as a cause. So <clears throat> Malthus writes, the, writes his theory, uh, whether it's in relation to this explicitly or not, I don't quite remember. I don't think that's necessarily been established but it does get picked up quite quickly, not only by the English, where he was writing, but also by the French. Um, so you have the French revolutionaries taking a very Malthusian view of uh, population, food consumption, um, claiming that certain populations will eventually just have to die, therefore justifying any killings that the revolutionaries needed to do. Um, so this theory... Uh, I don't know if I'm uh, not. I don't know if I'm being too on the nose. Uh, it's used to justify population control, and if the theory is correct, which we'll go into why it's not, it has a point. You know, you might as well. People are going to die, so prevent them from being born or kill off the ones you don't want. Which sounds terrible, but if you take the uh, if you take it to be true, that's your only conclusions basically, or just let the collapse happen naturally, which usually gets made out to be a sort of apocalyptic scenario. Um, following so far? I don't want to... Well, I'm, I'm absolutely, absolutely following. I'm taking Alrighty. notes. Alrighty. Um, so, we have all of that. The revolutionaries will use this to uh, kill off royalists, basically, more conservative areas of France, political dissidents, starve out people. Um, it gets used to a very full extent. The classic histori historical example of Malthus's ideas being put into practice um, is in Ireland, uh, where the British blockade the island of Ireland um, to some degree, limiting food imports. Because when the famine when the uh, famine struck, basically when one harvest went bad, um, the elites took that opportunity to to uh, basically make the point. Well, this is going to happen anyways. Uh, we're not going to have enough food to support the population in Ireland. It's going to collapse. We might as well get this over with now instead of dragging it out. Um, which is why you get very insane statistics about uh, you know most parts of the world untouched by Malthus's theory, giving money to the Irish to donate to help, 
Meanwhile, most of the UK, including the royal family, doesn't. Um, just completely ignores it. This is why. Because Malthus' theory that population growth will exceed food production, material production, all, uh, earth, earthly production. Um, this, this is what it leads to. Um, and I can't necessarily say that the logic is wrong if you accept that foundation. Yeah. Um, we see this again in the Americas uh, once it spreads to the United States and the progressive movement. Um, Oliver Wendell Holmes was a very major Supreme Court figure. Um, he is the one that we have to thank for the, if I remember correctly, for the clear and present danger doctrine, uh, which is an, an extremely restrictive uh, force upon things like speech. Um, it was used in also to detain people in wartime. Um, so this is a kind of figure we're dealing with. Um, he, he also uses this and some of the other progressives on the court in order to legalize sterilization of undesirables in the United States. Um, not quite in that language, but that is what it ends up being. Um, basically the poor, um, whereas in other places so far it was ideological leanings or geographical or nationalistic leanings, Ireland. Um, in the United States, it was typically the poor that was seen as the undesirables that should not be reproducing. Um, that is, if we're going to have this Malthusian collapse, we want to make sure that it's not the lower classes in squalor that end up taking over the world. We want it to be everyone else not in squalor. Um, and of course, with the progressives, there was always a racial element um, being, uh, if you don't know your history about the progressive movement in the United States, uh, there's a very good Rothbard piece on it called the progressive era um, among others, but yeah, great book. <laughs> so th there was always a very strong racial element associated with the progressives. Um, usually it gets pulled out as a point of slander, but I think that's intellectually lazy. I'm just mentioning this as a point of fact. They are the ones that revived the Klan in the 20s. Um, they're the ones that push for federal segregation, things like things along those lines on the state level. Certainly they segregated a lot of states. Um, so. There was also a racial element, though I would argue it wasn't as strong as the uh, class element to eugenics, basically, um, when it comes to this population control. So this is, we've talked about what the basic theory is, mm -hmm. who has used it before in history, um, and some of the effects that it's had. Uh, for instance, the population of Ireland still hasn't recovered today, which is gets thrown out in pop history all the time. Um, the French, uh, the Royalists. Also, I think there were some regions that never really recovered their sort of ideological consolidation. Um, so you'd have regions of France that were extremely Royalist, some that were extremely revolutionary. Um, through the mass murders carried out by the revolutionaries, they ended up basically wiping out entire Royalists and therefore conservative strongholds that never came back. And then in the United States, um, we've seen certain communities, uh, poor, black, it, it, any, I'm sure there are a few others, but those are the two main ones um, that have not recovered from progressive policies targeting them. Um, although the policies change after a while, it's not just the eugenics and sterilization and population control that the progressives pushed. These are the effects. These are the kinds of people that took it up. Um, we talked about the Church of England. But was the theory actually correct? We haven't discussed that yet. That's what I'm asking next. What, do you, what are the fallacies involved? In, what, 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 why is the theory wrong? So I'm going to go historically because it's one of my favorite sort of things to point out. Um, when Malthus was writing this, 1798, um, 
North America was not yet a major food producer like we have today, where we have the entire Great Plains region as one of the major bread baskets of the world. Um, it was just the East Coast that was mostly habitable. The Great Plains, parts of the Midwest, were basically seen as wastelands. Um, and the reason was because the soil was too terrible, it was unplowable with iron plows, um, that it was almost unfarmable. So you just had all those prairies out there, little water, you know, unless you were next to a, a river or something like that, which is not most of the Great Plains, if you've seen a map or been out there, um, constantly in a drought, you know. So it was seen as a wasteland. Um, Thomas Malthus writes this based off of current trajectories at the time. And then almost at, immediately after he dies, I think, in the 1830s. So there's like a 30-year period after he writes this where he's still kicking and writing and promoting his ideas. Mm -hmm. um, basically, almost after he dies, the steel plow gets introduced to the United States, um, which allows those great plains and those wastelands to be turned into very, very valuable farmland, um, being as the steel plow is able to actually cultivate fields unlike the iron plow. I, if I remember correctly, and I'm not a farmer, so don't quote, on, quote me on this, I think it was something like dirt would stick to the iron plow and basically make it unusable um, like in, in the form of any working machine, whereas the steel plow, it didn't do such a thing, so you could plow it like a normal field, if I remember correctly. So that happens. Um, we also get advents of technology throughout that century, like refrigeration, we get better preserving standards. We get modern medicine, all things that help people live, um, all things that help preserve food, that help output more food. So suddenly, what we can get from the earth no longer seems as arithmetic and standard. It suddenly, suddenly far out, um, exceeds the population that we have and the growth as well. And what we start seeing from those effects and this is all empirically, we'll get into the logical fallacies very soon, I promise. Um, what you start seeing from those effects that you might see in modern development theory is that very wealthy regions of the earth now that don't have to worry about food security start having less and less children. Um, even before contraception, the average family size was much lower than parts of the world that did have to deal with food insecurity. So um, industrial Britain, if I remember correctly, the average family size was declining um, while most of China, for instance, where you could still very much have famines, uh, was not. Their family size was just as it had been for most of their history, bar periods of strife and war. So um, you get that development that Malthus just didn't predict. So um, in this sense, he was treating humans kind of as unthinking animals that will just completely outstrip their environment and just don't adapt if you can call having a smaller family or less children at adapting which i'm sure we can get into very soon um logically where did malthus go wrong in saying that you know our material is only ever going to grow at an arithmetic rate and the population is only ever going to grow at a geometric rate well this completely discounts things like t innovation or technology and ingenuity um so by treating man as just a standardized animal that he can put its production and its growth on a map or on a graph, rather, um, he completely discounts one of the main things that separates man from animal, which is reason, uh, which I'm sure there are some people that will dispute the extent of that. Um, but we are certainly the only animal 
that can innovate to the to the extent that we can see. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is to say, we're the only animal that can produce things like refrigerators, computers, and all these other things. Um, <clears throat> that that's one. There's also the economic fallacy, which says that you know re- our resources are set and there's no getting any more of them. Um, so us Austrians, uh, through our theory, can very easily see that one object can have many different uses, which means it, as a resource, it has different, uh, it can be seen as different resources, even though it's the same object, if you will. So one object can satisfy multiple different ones. Um, Malthus and most people at the time in England, to be fair, uh, wouldn't see it that way. Um, you have a set, uh, a set amount of resources that can only be used in these ways, and we can mathematize that, put it on a graph, and we can measure how much of this resource we have for what we need. Um, this is insane to us <laughs> for, for the reasons that, that I just described. Um, also, you have the changing wants of people. So um, diet and caloric intake can change. Um, if I remember correctly from the uh, pamphlet that he, or not the pamphlet, but the paper that he wrote, the treatise, um, I don't believe he actually took that into account, but it has been a couple of years. Um, and forgive me for being imprecise on Malthus himself. Um, the reason I'm not necessarily being a strict on him is because his whole theory doesn't get taken as dogma, just the sort of foundational, foundationable, uh, principles. Mm-hmm. So, um, Malthus himself, he formulated the ideas in very precise terms. I mean, obviously he made the graph, um, but it doesn't actually get used as such, just the underlying mimetic ideas that population growth is going to outstrip resources, and that's just what pervades. Um, so those groups that we talked about, uh, the progressives, um, and we'll get to a few other ones in the modern day, um, they don't necessarily take Malthus's original ideas, but they take the underlying idea uh, that population will exceed resource production. Um, so... We have all, uh, that's Malthus, I think, wrapped up. I don't think I've missed anything necessarily. Seemed like you covered him pretty in, in pretty well. I mean, I, I had a, that's a, the cat's going nuts. Um, you seem to cover him pretty well. I, I, so one of my, one of my next questions, then, I guess, is going to be, um, how I put this? I completely, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I completely lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. It was, a, it was a long day at work and uh, the sun really got to me. I'm, I'm having yeah, a that's fine. Um, so what? So currently, you mentioned the. Um, God, I cannot get my. I cannot get my thought again. Okay, I got it. You mentioned how there was a uh, change in technology, things of multiple uses. It's not. It's not a. Um, like, what was the word you used? It was counting. Uh, was, you talked about it was the uses that were being used. What was the word you used? It was the oh. um, arrow something. Um, it was counting up. God. Okay. It was Sorry. going two, four. It was counting. Oh, so arithmetic. Uh, arithmetic. Resource yeah. materials are an arithmetic rate. Yeah. Is there a cap on it? Is there is there eventually a cap where it kind of just goes? Okay, we ha- we've we've exhausted all resources. We've exhausted technological implementation. Is there an event? Because this is not what I've heard from some of my over, 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 by pro overpopulation argument argument friends. There's eventually going to be a cap on how much production can be right. done. Where events are going to run out. It's it's no avoiding that because it's a finite us. Is there so, uh, any legitimacy to that argument? 
this is where Malthus gets modernized because originally he wasn't necessarily concerned about the end state. To him, that equilibrium point where resource production and population intersected was all that mattered. You're not going to get to the end because you're always just going to be in that constant state of collapse that was supposed to come very soon after his lifetime, uh, which didn't. Um, but we get that we get this theory sort of updated. When that collapse doesn't happen, and when you still have all these different groups that are very interested in the theory for one reason or another, we can take them at their word, or we can assume malintentions, you know, social engineering, control, uh, genocidal uh, wants from some groups. Um, they can't rely on the Malthusian collapse whenever basically we're producing food at record levels in all of human history and uh, we're in a state of food security that's never before been seen. That collapse isn't going to scare anyone and it's most certainly not coming and it's not true. So what happens? Well, the theory gets modernized to start talking about the total amount of resources because now that we don't have to worry about the short term, we have to worry, worry about the far, far long term where we've completely exhausted the earth of all of its material wealth and what are we going to do then down the line? Who knows how far away that's going to be? It doesn't matter. We have to, we have to basically um, preserve our future. Well, um, this gets popularized very recently, I would say, um, by sort of the originally the Club of Rome, um, which they published a paper or a book or report, something along those lines. I don't know what the uh, technical. Uh, name for the uh, document would be uh the the title of which was the limits to growth um published in 72 if i remember correctly so what you have is a bunch of elites uh gathering from all across the western world and i think parts of the uh undeveloped world at the time um and what they were discussing um was what's going to happen to the world with sort of a neo malthusian lens hmm. so it's very similar. They will use graphs and they will chart things in their intersections. Malthus, very basic comparatively, he just charted resource production and population growth. The Club of Rome is going to chart population growth, resource production, um, resource use. And they're also going to chart things like CO2 output, um, prevalence of contraception, or uh, they have some sort of measurement that they, that they use. I forget. Once again, you can check out the document, the limit to growth. Um, they basically add together as sort of a, a factor <clears throat> or an amplifier, a, a multiplier. Um, education for women, women in the workforce, contraception, all things that will limit uh, population growth uh, to actually uh, multiply population growth by in their uh, mathematical equations. And um, they run the simulation multiple times because at this point we have computers. It's not just hand calculations that Malthus was using uh, a couple hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and what they end up finding, surprise, surprise, um, is that if we just use more contraception and if we switch to uh, less uh, carbon outputting uh, energy sources and industries, um, we can sustain population for longer uh, without having to completely destroy the earth or without having to go into a neo-Malthusian collapse, um, which for the neo-Malthusians, the, the sort of people that took Malthus's original idea and modified it, um, this collapse looks uh, much like a sort of environmentalist dystopia that you might read about in, uh, I believe it's like the Sheet Look Up, I think that's the book, um, where uh, you have masses and masses of people 
um, in a very sort of smog-filled world um, where there's just no resources left. Everything is expensive. People are starving. Um, you sounds, have, sounds like LA. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there's a joke to be made there about them inducing this, obviously. Um, yeah. But this is sort of the collapse they're predicting. It's not going to be warfare over limited resources like it would have been in more classically minded Malthusian documents. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be, you know, squalor and hell for most people. Um, and of course, the way that you solve this is just by you know adopting their agenda. Of course, but <laughs> to be less uh, less uh, partial towards one side or the other, um, instead of uh, advocating for killing people, like we saw with the old Malthusians, the revolutionaries, and the progressives, and the sterilizations, um, they're just advocating for constricting population growth. Hence the name, the limit to growth. Mm-hmm. Um, by all these other means, and then also for some reason pushing a very sort of progressive policy on most of society. So um, obviously, you and I, uh, we don't have to be completely impartial. We can see this for what it is. It's a complete agenda being pushed on most of the West, and in fact, it's come to fruition, basically. Um, Because in the 70s, you still had most of the West above replacement rate for its families, despite the fact that it had reached that sort of... uh, post-industrialization point in their development where people suddenly have less children. They were still above replacement rate. Uh, When the Club of Rome starts pushing these policies on the West, uh, suddenly the fertility rate drops below 2.1 per family. So they got exactly what they wanted, um, but somehow they can release papers in 2008, 2009 saying we still haven't solved it. Um, We have to do more to the West and also now the undeveloped world. So, uh, hold on one second. My voice is about to give out. All good. So, yes, it's, it's one. It sounds like another one of those uh, never uh, impossible to achieve goals. The state loves to push to keep right. pushing more power. So, so climate change, overpopulation, yes. equality. This is another one of those examples. Yes, it is. And uh, so, this is all being calculated. <clears throat> Sorry. It's all good. Sorry. Please continue. My cat right. was meowing at the door. I don't want to like, pick him <laughs> up and. He, he hides under the bed when I don't know he's here, and he just comes out every time I'm recording. He just pops out of nowhere and just wants to interrupt. Uh, yeah, cats. Um, anyways, so it, it is definitely an unreachable goal. Also, all of their things are unfalsifiable. Um, so typically, um, you can prove any scientific theory wrong, either by trial and error, you know, will this come to fruition, or by logic. Um, you can't prove any of this wrong. And we economists can see, we Austrians at the very least, uh, can see why. Because they ran all these through mathematical equations. Well, obviously, if you tweak the mathematical equations to give you exactly what you want, um, then you're not going to necessarily be able to prove it wrong unless you accept all of their presuppositions. And their presuppositions um, are axioms, basically. Um, (laughs) Let me know if you can prove correct or incorrect an axiom. So... Uh, this is sort of what you're dealing with. It's passed off as science because it looks very scientific. It's made by scientists. Uh, The methodology looks very scientific. It has math, it has graphs, um, and it has a very sort of scientific language. But you can't falsify this, much like you can't with climate change. Um, Especially not in this generation. I'm sure generations from now can look back empirically, which, once again, gray area, uh, as we might know for human behavior, um, I'm sure generations um, 
coming after us can look back at all these things and say, well, this didn't come to be. Um, but then all that we see from the people pushing this is they moved the goalposts completely. Well, of course that didn't come to be. This was incorrect in the equation originally, and we've added this new thing that needs to happen in these countries now, um, which is what they did with the limit to growth. Um, so we can get into growth as a concept and things like that, because obviously most people, most politicians and other NGOs, similar to the Club of Rome, uh, do not like the GDP falling, uh, which the Club of Rome was explicitly advocating for, uh, and into economic growth in sort of the classical sense. Um, there are other people that don't quite like that. And so we implemented what the Club of Rome desired. We put women in the workforce. We gave out a lot of education grants to educate everyone. Um, we started implementing contraceptive programs. Um, you know, it's uh, available like it never has been in human history before. And um, we also started uh, providing childcare and all this other stuff so that women can work longer. Um, so fertility rates have completely collapsed. And I'm sure there's also other things. Uh, I'm, microplastics is a thing you hear about and all these other health hazards. Um, I don't know as much about those. I only know the more social side of this. Um, we've implemented everything that the Club of Rome asked for, um, but that hasn't satisfied everyone. So now that the West's fertility levels have completely collapsed and their population is looking like it's about to decline, what do we do? Uh, we let in the third world. We import people to make up for the people that we no longer have by the native population in order to make sure that the GDP doesn't fall and make sure that these social welfare schemes like, the, like Social Security that rely on a larger generation to come after the current one uh, to make sure that these don't collapse. Um, so... That's not the Club of Rome's doing, and that's not the Malthusians doing. That's their competitors or their comrades. I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. <clears throat> it's, it's the doings of other NGOs uh, in tandem with Malthusian population controls, um, which is where we are today, the intersection of all those groups. That was a, that was a lot of information. Great <laughs> job, by the way. This, it was really interesting. There was a, a lot to... A lot of, I learned a lot on that. Um, I was this is a question I was asked. People wanted me to ask you: How does um, abortion or uh, you mentioned contraceptions? How does things like abortion, um, encouraging for less family, uh, pushing uh, anti-family values? You know, literally telling right. single mothers you, have, you don't get married, you have more money. How do these kind of things uh, play into that? They all they all kind of feed into the same overpopulation thing, or how does it? Right. So, um, overpopulation. Um, as we can probably gauge from the elites pushing this, they don't necessarily have to believe in it. <clears throat> There's a much more compelling argument to be made that they just want this for social control. Um, I mean, the Club of Rome was founded by you know Rockefellers, for instance. Uh, they aren't necessarily seen as the most genuine people, but that's a character attack. So I'll avoid that for the sake of intellectual honesty for now um, and just point out that there are more incentives than just... Uh, out of the goodness of their hearts, the elites worrying about overpopulation. The overpopulation is more for the plebeians to worry about. So you, I, and all the other commoners that we know um, that aren't the elites making policy, that's what you and I have to worry about is overpopulation because this incentivizes people uh, to not have children to avoid that neo-Malthusian collapse. I, I literally know people who don't want to have kids because of overpopulation. <laughs> Right, yeah. It, so it works. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. It works, and it's weird. That, it's honestly weird that it does work. I think that probably points more to the scientism and the mm -hmm. you know mathematics of everyone's focused on. Like, well, it's science, therefore it's true. 
Right, and it, it completely contradicts things like natural law, <laughs> which, which is the most infuriating thing for any sort of classical Christian, is just see, watching people completely go against their very obvious nature mm-hmm. or numbers on a paper that can't be proven or falsified. So, um, anyways, overpopulation, probably not what the people at the top are worried about, but it's certainly what they will educate you in schools, put on the television, put on the radio, and start telling the younger generations about. Um, As for things like abortion, it is absolutely the case that that is being used. And in fact, that was, if I remember correctly, the earliest form of contraception um, was to simply kill the child. So um, the early church fathers, um, when they were writing about contraception, that is what they were dealing with, was um, people ingesting, I believe it was flowers in sort of the Mediterranean region that would just kill the fetus. Um, So uh, forgive me, I completely forget the church father that wrote against it primarily, um, but that was exactly what it was, was abortion originally. And that didn't go away. Um, there is sort of the. Here, give me a second. It's all good. Take your time. <clears throat> There's sort of the uh, conservative, mainstream conservative uh, meme that Planned Parenthood was found uh, for eugenicist purposes, and that is entirely correct. Um, yeah. Some of us have probably heard it enough times to be sick of hearing about the idea, um, but that is entirely true. Um, originally, it is worth noting they did not perform abortion, but they were just to sort of uh, promote these eugenicist policies and uh, family planning, um, all these other things that you can, uh, contraceptive uh, use, things that can limit population without resort, resulting to, resorting to abortion, sorry. Um, but with the legalization of abortion in some states and then the uh, federal legalization by court, they do very much start making that their main source of contraception, um, at least that we can measure. You know, it's very hard to measure how effective contraception is by numbers, except for abortion, because the numbers are already there beforehand. You don't see what you could have had. So um, abortion is absolutely used, and it was in history. Um, And in fact... Uh, there is arguments to be made that it was a wide and common practice in the late Roman Republic and early Roman Empire hmm. uh, because we had Emperor Augustus pass multiple uh, multiple laws penalizing um, elderly bachelors, families that didn't have children. Um, there's evidence that there was a sort of demographic decline and collapse in the late Roman Republic, early Roman Empire. Um, simply judging by, or simply uh, looking at the laws that were being passed. Um, there were a few other things as well. I think they limited bathhouses and all these other things because it was a, uh, uh, it was basically seen as a, not only cultural libertinism, um, but it was also uh, correlated with people just not having children. Uh, mm-hmm. It was sort of seen as decadence. Um, so, and I'm sure there might be a scientific reason for that, that the Romans might not have known, but might have been onto something. Um, so you have that in ancient history. Um, there have been demographic declines throughout history since then. Um, you had the or- original Romans themselves kind of get overtaken in the Italian peninsula by the Germans in the north, if I remember correctly. Um, the Lombards uh, supplant the old Roman citizenry with, a, with the Lombards, a mix of Italian and German. Um, same with other parts of the Roman Empire, um, though some of those were more genocidal than they were longer-term contraceptive-induced collapses and all these uh, 
all these other methods that don't just involve directly killing the population. Um, and then, of course, you have the modern West, uh, where the average family is below replacement rate. Um, you have ideas that are not entirely new to history, but certainly in the ways that we are to the extent that we have applied them are new, uh, such as the two income, no children families that you see running around families. Uh, couples yeah. might be a more apt description. Um, yeah. So you you do have this uh, you do have things like this being seen in the Roman Empire where you would have couples that would reach their elderly years without having children. Um, but it was mocked and it was legislated against. Uh, certainly not something that we have right now, unless maybe you could count Hungary. But even then, I don't know if the uh, numbers are necessarily reflecting success there. Um, I would, I certainly think we're in one of the more extreme demographic crises, though. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of overlap between overpopulation, climate change, um, a lot, a lot, it seems like a lot of the left's favorites, um, narratives of puss seem to overlap a lot with each other and they all kind of feed into yeah. each other um i wouldn't have a question about that like, that's an observation you have anything to add about that kind of like there seems to really be a connection between these things yes um so if you go read that limit to growth <clears throat> from the club of rome they will directly mention co2 output climate change and all these other uh issues bringing about the neo-malthusian collapse <clears throat> and if you listen to your current modern environmental movement uh, the Greens that are completely in favor of destroying a country's uh, energy industry, uh, food production, and their agricultural industry, and basically just saying people will die, but that's just the price that I'm willing to pay. Um, th those types of environmentalists. Um, you can see that they most definitely um, believe at the same time in overpopulation being a major issue and also in climate change being a main issue. And then overpopulation feeds into climate change as well, if you want to make that your main point of view. So mm -hmm. overpopulation brings about more CO2 production, um, and then more CO2 more CO production destroys more of the planet, destroys more natural resources, harms other ecosystems, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, we need to limit human population. So both of these, you are very correct, feed into each other. And you can also add in other issues. Um, large corporations usually get thrown into the mix here. You know, <clears throat> usually they'll say, oh, well, they produce a disproportionate amount of CO2. Therefore, we have to destroy the larger corporations. Um, in my experience, this line of reasoning has sort of fallen out of popularity. You don't usually see that one as much. Usually it's more on the overpopulation now. But I remember coming across that when I was still in school. They would sort of throw that around as like, this is also a talking point being thrown around. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> basically everything that the left coincidentally or not, I'll let you decide, uh, wants to go against, ends up being put into one of these narratives. <clears throat> so with overpopulation, they most certainly mainly targeted the West. Um, with climate change, once again, they have targeted the West. Overpopulation sort of gets uh, multiple things. So not only did they get the West, uh, as I just said, they also use it to attack things like the church. Um, so certainly any institution that still prohibits contraception is seen as a very restrictive and medieval institution, uh, medieval being a slur to these people. So, um, not, not, not the dream, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, they use it as a hammer against traditional institutions. They use it as a hammer against traditional families. Um, so there are some more environmentally minded overpopulation enthusiasts that will write against the, nu the nuclear family. 
that will write against a you know traditional societal organization around the nuclear family um, because that historically produces large amounts of children. Um, and you also see this being attacked for racism for all these other all the other leftist reasons that you would ta- would attack something traditional. Um, you are right; they all intersect. <laughs> How does um. Does the philosophy of anti-natalism uh, have any role in this kind of um, overpo- myth of overpopulation? Yeah. Um, so some overpopulation um, is centered on future generations. Um, I think that would be sort of the older generations, um, the ones that you would see at these sort of forums that have gray hair, look a bit old, the last generation of environmentalists that were pushing this, um, the newer ones that you and I will see most often um, will push this sort of as a um, anti-humanity stance. They aren't worried about future generations and they aren't necessarily worried about the future of the earth or something like that. It's more of an embedded nihilism. So um, I can see this as a zoomer. Um, A lot of people in my generation just really hate humanity. They hate children. They hate families. They don't want families. They don't want children. Um, And so um, if whether it's because they reach that position because of overpopulation and because they're just genuine believers, or if the theory just provided a convenient excuse to believe all of that, um, that is what they adopt most often. It is very um, anti-human, um, which I, I think that there's a lot of a there's a lot that C.S. Lewis wrote about that specific topic. Um, though I don't think he could have necessarily predicted the extent to which we see it today. Um, yeah. Antinatalism that you that you do see have less children for whatever reason, sort of as its own end goal, um, once again, feeds into all the other things that we just discussed. Um, but it's much more, uh, it's much more nihilistic. Yeah. Every time that you and I hear about have less children, they don't usually say what the end goal is. It is just have less children and you can have these benefits or uh, for this cause or something like that, but they don't say what the end goal of the cause is even then. Um, you only see this antinatalism pushed in the West where the Club of Rome has had its complete heyday where every single policy that they pushed for has been enacted. It's the next step. Um, you don't get to hear any sort of fanciful notions about preserving the earth for future generations or making sure that our children can live on or making sure that the green trees still bloom here. Um, it's just have less children and then eventually we can phase humanity out. Um, that's what you face. I don't get how that, I don't get how anybody holds it as a, like a legit philosophy. Like I, I had, I, mm. I, I got into a few uh, disagreements with some anti-natalists on Twitter, maybe a few weeks ago. And one of them said, you're wasting your time. He's a Catholic. The notorious breeders. <laughs> and I, I, I put the notorious breeder in my bio. Like what's that? The notorious breeder. That's, that's going to, yeah. The unmarried Catholic <laughs> is a notorious breeder. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was the dumbest thing I've ever read. I'm like, I don't know how to interact with these kind of people. Like, how are you that nihilistic about humanity as a whole? We have to wipe off. We we send them to these more. It's insane. Right. And, you know, there's a plethora of explanations for why they might be anti-humanity. You get sort of the spiteful mutants idea from the more uh, Duttonite types, uh, Edward Dutton. Um, You get people saying that they're just, you know, demon possessed, which, you know, seems more and more plausible (laughs) as they say more. Um, And then you just get people very naively saying, well, they actually believe this and we have to convince them. Um, But the issue with this sort of nihilism being pushed is it is very hard to argue a nihilist out of nihilism. Not impossible, but for the purpose of uh, practicality, it's very difficult. Um, 
try to convince someone of having meaning. It's almost impossible. Um, they either have to experience something sort of like as a shock factor or they never get it, um, which is why this particular idea is so insidious and why it's such a problem. Um, it's being pushed in schools. You get a bunch of schools that will take a very, very nihilistically environmentalist view about things. Um, if I remember correctly, I think that the biology class that I was in talked about overpopulation a lot. AP biology. Cool. So, you know, it's not like a it's not like a one-off thing. This was a this was the biology class, and it was uh, the teacher sort of helping the other science teachers uh, know what to teach. And I'm sure that they don't necessarily need the help just because of the way the school system is now. Um, this stuff is taught in schools. Um, it's probably now being taught at a very young age. I remember coming across like 12 and 13 year olds talking about overpopulation. Um, if you go onto YouTube, you can see pop science videos on most platforms talking about overpopulation. You know, they have very high production quality. I'm sure that they get absolutely no money from these organizations trying to push it. Um, but their main audience target is people that look at infographics, you know, so bored people, which is a lot of the West, um, people that just get caught by flashy colors and want a dopamine hit. Most of the West sounds like Zoomers. Yeah. And Zoomers. Yeah. The young generation see something flashy, might be curious still at this point in time. And they just start reading about overpopulation. It sounds very fancy. It's almost a very edgy take because it's anti-humanity. Can you go farther than that? And just disliking everything around you. Um, So it just gets adopted wholesale by my generation. And you're, we're going to see the consequences when you get a generation nihilist raids. It, it's happened before in history and it never ends well. Yeah. No, my, my generation, I'm Gen Z, I'm a Gen Z too. I'm 23. And it, mm-hmm. it's um, the talking to people my age about anything of meaning. And it is just nothing but nihilism. And uh, like, like they aren't, how do I put this? It seemed like the position is this anti-natural law, but they don't even know what natural law is. Right. There's the anti-teleology, the anti-art stuff. And it's it's really just like you explain to the natural law, like, well, that does that makes no sense. I'm like, what do you mean makes no sense? And they have the weirdest objections, it makes no sense. I can't right. so, to people. The whole natural fallacy idea that, that this is what it's like in nature, and therefore that doesn't mean anything, and it's just coincidental, is meant to attack natural law. Because natural law hinges almost entirely on the purpose of things as they are. You know, why should man and woman have children? Well, natural law says because that is what they are, bio- that's what they are built to do. Very obviously, you see it everywhere. You see it across history. You see it in nature. And you can deduce that on your own without even having to see it empirically. So, you know, natural law states man and woman should have children. Why shouldn't man and woman therefore have an abortion? Because that doesn't happen. You know, you don't have anything. You have to induce it very violently at the risk of harming, you know, the carrier, the woman. So natural law completely goes against most modern sensibilities because it is natural. And modern sensibility hates everything that is natural in that regard. Um, So if you try saying these things, uh, these very, very well understood concepts for hundreds and hundreds of years, you'll just get thrown at you. Well, that's the natural fallacy. Just because it happens in nature doesn't mean we need to do it. Well, um, if they had any sort of concept of morality, perhaps then that wouldn't be as strong of an an objection. Mm -hmm. But you're dealing with a generation of people that were largely raised amorally. There is no one morality that pervades people if there even is one at all. 
Um, sometimes you can come across people that have a concept of good and evil. Most of the time it's just, oh, well, that depends on your perspective, uh, being the uh, main moral arbiter. So natural law is, by practicality, meaningless to these people, even though they are going against it, and it is very real. There are going to be consequences. Yeah. Well, we only got eight minutes left in the uh, episode. Uh, yeah, any any final thoughts or anything you want to impart onto the audience about uh, the overpopulated mess? Mm, right. Um, so when you come across it in, uh, in your day-to-day life, um, it's probably not going to be very convincing to just start spouting off, well, Malthus was wrong because this and this reason, and then it was used by the Neom. You're going to look like the guy that has the cork board with the red lines in the background. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do that. Um, it is probably going to be more fruitful um, if you do get into an argument with these people to talk about you know, underlying morality. It's never a terrible idea to start at first principles just because there you can gauge is it worth discussing things with this person, which yeah. you know, can be difficult because sometimes you can have friends that just Dude. are completely amoral. The amount of people who want to all like, I have friends who want to argue with me about gay marriage, trans rights, <laughs> all this kind of uh-huh. stuff. And I say, we're start at the beginning. I believe God is real. And they're like, no, I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, you right. want to argue all these things down the line, <laughs> but you won't let me even defend or talk about my first principle on this thing. And you're going to say, I'm wrong. This is, you, it's a waste of time. It's, if you can't argue first principles with these people, I don't see a reason to really engage. Right. Um, and here's the other thing as well. Um, the other uh, sort of counter to all this is you get people saying, well, this just sorts itself out. They won't have children. They won't reproduce. And they lose in the end and we win. And it has, you know, convincing logic there. Um, I would caution against that, though, because that's not how these ideas spread. Um, They weren't inherited. Um, A lot of these eugenicists, Malthusians, and uh, progressives weren't always raised in Malthusian and progressive households. Usually they adopted these views. So if you want to really win in the end, um, have a family, have a large family like you would have at any other time in human history, um, and make sure that you educate your children well. Um, That's the main thing. Have a very airtight household, a very well-educated uh, Christian household um, that can actually impart these things and make sure that your family is defended. You heard it here first, guys. Ryan Turnipseed, go get married. <laughs> uh, well, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. Um, what are your plugs? Where can people find you at? Oh, um, so uh, I might as well advertise this. So not only can you find me there, but you can also find a lot of other good people there as well. Findmyfriends.net, if I remember correctly. Uh, let me just double check that. Yes. So that is F-I-N-D-M-Y-F-R-E-N-S dot net. Um, you can find me there and you can find a lot of my friends there. Um more specifically, I have a YouTube channel, uh, Ryan Turnipseed. Um, you can also find my videos on Odyssey. And I co-host uh, with Stephen Carson at his YouTube channel, Radical Liberation, um, where we have covered the Malthusians before. Um, I think this is a much cleaner presentation, though, uh, because I think I'm a much more uh, put-together presenter now than I was then. So <laughs> um, those are the places you're most likely to find me and Twitter um, under my name there as well. So wonderful, wonderful. Well, guys, this is an episode of uh, Face Liberty and Praxis, season two, episode three. Uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, get married and have kids. Mm-hmm.